Hello and welcome to Make Language Great Again. Uh, today it is my great joy and pleasure to welcome Paul Kudenek, who I had a wonderful conversation with uh, some uh, month ago, and we just had to do it again because it was so interesting, and people loved it. So it's it's lovely it's lovely to see you again and to talk to you again, and so we talked about many important things last time and. Uh, Today, hopefully, we'll talk about more important things. So, uh, first of all, since the last time we talked, is there anything that you've been working on that you want to talk about, or any new discoveries? Or um, I've been I've been uh, looking quite a lot. Though I haven't really written anything yet, but I've been looking quite a lot about the idea of development and what that means. That the, you know that very vague term, which uh, has all sorts of meanings in the English language, but also has a, a specific meaning linked to um, economic growth. In other words, the expansion of certain um, financial uh, accumulation. You know, so it's it, it's applied to um, property development. We say in the uh, mm-hmm. we say in England, which is real estate. You know. And um, or development of infrastructures, you know, railways and so on. And, and in the third, in the global south, as we call it today, it's the is the the development of these poor people who've, who've been left behind and left out of the modern world and are underdeveloped because they're still growing food and not having to go to work and things like that. And so it's got this. I think it's quite a sinister idea. I'm coming to the conclusion it's a it's a sort of perhaps the sort of a, the root of the. Uh, of a lot of problems we've got today. And then when you see that it's also, they're now starting to talk about um, human development is a very, uh, very popular phrase amongst um, certain organisations, such as the Commonwealth that I wrote about before we last spoke, I think. And, um, yeah, they're very much into human development, development of human capital. And then, of course, you've got the uh, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's, again, that's that word, that same word cropping up, development, and it's such a bland word that we don't take much notice of it because it's uh, you know it doesn't really have any any real um, hard content. It can be applied in so many ways, but I think I think it's something people ought to look at and uh, start to draw the make the connections. That's what I'd like to be start doing is making the connections between between all these different kinds of development and uh, see if there's what it is that uh, that, that binds them into one um, one entity. Well, this is brilliant, and you kind of hit the nail in the head because on the head because development is it like object subject object relationship in that pair that implies development is very very specific. There's an active subject developing an inanimate object, which has been the relationship with nature, which was wrong actually to begin with. But it's easier for modern people to think of nature as inanimate than say people. But if we are moving people into that same category, which is logical, philosophically, it is entirely logical, because if we can do it to earth, if we can do it to animals, we can do it to plants, we can do it to people. There's, the, the transition is smooth. But yeah. it is so brilliant. The, the term development really encapsulates all that. And of course, with human capital and development and this whole impact investment and all that, I mean, like that's an entire dark area that is covered by this language. I'm I'm so glad you brought it up because this is really a really necessary observation. 
Yeah, I mean, I th- the, the trouble is, you see, there is another kind of development in the, in, in the language, which is just like, you know, you, I, I might develop an, an argument. Well, I am. I'm developing an argument about uh, about development, or I'm developing a sense of uh, a sense of humour, or, or I'm, de- you know, so so it's, it's, it gets lost. The the, the the specific meaning, yeah, which is the one I'm, which is one I'm identifying. This uh, subject object definition gets lost in this just general bland blandness around the around this word. So yeah, it's a question of isolating this particular sense, I think, and and highlighting it and questioning it. Yeah, yeah this is really fascinating. And then of course what I wanted to talk about is well probably something we all deal with right now, which is okay, so we've been all oh well some of us writing about the great reset and the fourth industrial revolution and all those reforms and horrible things that have been unleashed on us, covered in wonderful glitter and wonderful terms. It's all going to be good for, I don't know who, Klaus Schwab but, and his masters and whoever, whoever the people are whose names we don't even know. But they're selling it to us as good. But we've been writing about it and covering all the crap, but they're still moving ahead. So we've been doing this and that and the other. And on many levels, it's kind of logical because this is how history has been developing. I'm I'm using it tongue in cheek, but this is how history has been happening for quite a few centuries where there's the peasants and then there are people who are particularly ambitious and broken in a particular way. I mean, they're still people, but they're just so entirely wrecked and that kind of wreckage also gives them a super confidence and super uh, hunger for power. And they then unleash it on the rest of us. So nothing new about that. And yet here we are, finally, uh, uh, here we are finding ourselves in the role of peasants. That was kind of hidden for mm-hmm. sometimes for few decades from the people now, middle class in the West, usually people have a good life. So what now? Because on the one hand, we keep digging and uncovering, and it's extremely important. It's important to understand. On the other hand, they're still doing it. I mean, they, 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 they're not stopping because there's an obstacle or a rally or, or a book. They're just going ahead because they are so hungry. They're so broken. And that hunger, that, that wreckage in their soul compels them to just Keep pushing no matter what. You know, find new tricks, find new language tricks, find new bullying methods. You know, money, obviously, what's going on. And so what do we do? And then it seems like it boils down to existential things because that's the only way that can actually get us out of it fundamentally, not just help us win a battle, but help us actually get out of it. So I wonder what your thoughts are. Yes, we do need to go down to a, a deeper level, which is something that, uh, that I've been I've been going on about for some time, really, because it is it, it's it's such a huge it's such a huge problem. I mean, this is just the, as I as I've said before, probably to you as well. What we're seeing, what we've been seeing in the last couple of years, is just a culmination of centuries of development, which has been leading us in this direction. But now it's sort of it's become more visible to more people, and um, but it's. But we're not going to we're not going to solve the underlying problem. Even when, as much as though I'd like to, you know, I'd like them to have to abandon uh, all of these uh, measures that they're currently trying to push through, and that would be a 
that would be a victory, nevertheless, if they if they if they felt they couldn't push uh, vaccine passports or uh, right. or uh, you know all the transhumanist um, in so-called innovations on us. So we've got to stop it. Obviously, if you're going to if if a sort of uh, a monster is advancing towards you, the first thing that you could you hope for is that you can stop it from eating you. But uh, but it'll still be alive if it's even if it stays if it backs off for a moment, which is which is really the most that we could feasibly expect from this there's a current great re resist great resist as we call it you know, but uh i think that um so i think we do need it's the moment it's this is the moment that they've given us the opportunity uh, they've given us a narrow opportunity in the same way as they thought they'd found their narrow opportunity with uh, with with covid they've given us a narrow opportunity to widely question the whole basis of, of their society and going right down into all the, the most basic assumptions we have about wh who we are and what our lives are, and you know, what, even you know, challenge, challenging everything that, that, that they have they have been trying to um, that they have successfully indoctrinated us into thinking for so long. Um, like you know, like the whole the whole thing about the need to work for somebody else in order to be able to live, which I've always thought is ever, ever since I was told at the age of. Uh, 17 or something that I was going to have to go off and spend my whole life finding a career and earning money and working and I thought why you know why 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 do I have to do that and why do we have to do that when no no people didn't used to have to do that thousands of years ago or even yeah thousands of years ago for most cases even even less years ago than that for uh, some people in across uh, across the world such as in uh, North America you know, or Australia but um but uh, um, and, and animals don't have to go out and work, you know. They they just they just live. Why aren't we allowed to do that? Well, that's just one. That's just one. That's just one aspect of what I mean, you know. And that, well, you know, I'm sure you can think of some others. I could go on, but I'll let you get a word in. This is this is all very interesting, and you know, I, yesterday I came up with with a new English word, and the word is incrazination which is indoctrination into feeling crazy or thinking like a crazy person. So I think a lot of it, actually, you're so right. It came to light in the past two years with significant prominence comparing to past decades. And the reason is because the pressure became so much more for so many people. And it brought out all those basic things, like why do we assume that this is normal? That's how you were expected to like, go to work pay the job that's just what they tell us what life is. yeah i mean like that's life you know just eat it up and that is that is so very true but then but then again so well i mean just like you said here we are and we try to stop those those monsters and and yet here we are because they're moving ahead and a part of it well existentially something entirely different that i want to bring up I think that what we do is we tell monsters to go live elsewhere, as in, in the philosophical sense of it. I mean, they don't disappear because they're a part, existentially, they're a part of this whole balance of positive, negative, and that struggle that kind of makes the life interesting, but in balance. So when they're elsewhere, we have a good life. And I remember a fairy tale a really, really 
deep fairy tale from my childhood. And Soviet filmmakers knew how to create subversive stuff within the genre of children's story. That was actually a very specific thing that some of them did. But so it was a fairy tale like any other. There's a villain, there's a group of villains, they're good guys. But then in the end, uh, they, you know, the good guys win as it goes in children's stories. But then instead of just imprisoning the bad, the villain forever, they kind of release the villain into the wild with a saying that, okay, here's for another story. And as a child, I thought that was kind of silly. But then I realized that a part of it, a part of it is just the eternal, like the eternal thing that, that happens. So a small amount of villainry, that's something that keeps us awake. But then when it gets straight in our face and when we don't do our job, when we betray ourselves, is when monsters eventually take over. And Unlike in the past, when you have a small community in all the cultures, uh, you have, say you had a small community and occasionally, because people are people, like somebody can go crazy or start having those ideas that are essentially toxic for the community because some, something broke, something, something, some confusion, right? But then because the majority were balanced, they would take care of it in some way. They would either expel a person or heal the person, whatever was appropriate in each case. Mm. And that was another challenge. And probably we cannot even understand it in a sensory manner because that seems like such a perfect society when the majority are balanced. I mean, like, like it's, it's sweet to daydream about, but we don't live in such a world. So we, we, we don't experience it. So what we have right now is that most people never get a chance to truly heal and we all do our best. Obviously, it's not a completely crazy world, even though it's kind of getting there now. It's getting more visible. But usually we manage. I mean, everybody is not so happy, but everybody goes to work, but people manage. But then when you, as an individual, as a human being, when you heal more, and all of a sudden you discover that a lot of people actually speak a different language kind of. And that becomes very confusing for the person who is actually trying to heal, right? Because the majority are like, they speak in a different language. They think in different categories and they are sincere. I mean, they have a point from the standpoint of that logical framework in which they're in, but it's a very different sensory and consequently logical framework. And then what do you do? And then, so my theory about it right now, well, it's not really theory, it's kind of the best thing that I can come up with, is that given the great reset, and also in general, I try to put tremendous effort uh, in, say, just like a couple of few people close to me who I want to give good energy to and try to work towards balance, because it's it's really hard work. Like even for one person and for like for several people, like that's a lot of work, right? And then then I do my work as like writing and like I try to be my best in every aspect of what I do, not in a lofty, silly manner that is moralistic, but in earnest, like to myself, to my own soul and to the higher powers, just to be really to try to do the best job by the spirit. But then I don't flatter myself thinking that I can actively save the world, 
I hope to contribute to that direction as much as I can. And it works in mysterious ways. So I put out whatever, whatever my soul feels. I put out like I write and, and art and, and general behavior. And I try to put out my absolute best in every way, including in writing and God knows, you know, where it goes. But then I learned, well, the hard way or through, through pain and disappointment, I learned that if I put it out there and some, you know, some remote person up there doesn't think that I'm right or doesn't seem to have an effect, then, you know, so be it. I, I kind of do that. And some things I can change with some effort. So, some things I cannot change. And sometimes I don't know which is which. So I have to just put out the best, you know, obviously try to do practical things that make sense. Then given the, but, but then, I mean, like, that's all as a human being I can do. I can hope for the best. I can do my best. I can ensure to be vigilant about my internals. So when I do everything, including like whether it's relationships with people or work or writing or like anything, and well, work is mostly writing anyway. So, but then the rest of it, I leave, leave up to the universe because, I mean, what, what else can I do? I mean, like, am I going to, I don't know, like, take up Klaus Schwab? I don't think so. I mean, possibly in some in some mysterious way, if something goes to something, something goes to something eventually. But I don't even like, I don't even think in that destructive. Like, I don't think, like, I think in terms of putting out love and then hopefully the rest will, there are people with different gifts, obviously. There are people who have who are warriors in a very direct sense, like in a very male military sense. And hopefully they do a brilliant job. Something that was a recent realization for me is that it's extremely important to distinguish between what is my job and what is not my job. And if I keep, if I spend a lot of energy thinking how I cannot do what is not my job in the first place, then... I'll be just frustrated all the time, but then I won't do what actually is my job. Like writing, I can do. Music, I can do. Being decent to human beings, I can do. Taking out Klaus Schwab, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. God, God willing, some, something will happen and this entire thing will destruct. But I can only contribute what I can. Yeah, of course. And that's, yeah, I think it's it's important to realize that we can only do what, what we can do we can only do our best obviously and we don't have to we don't i don't think you have to worry whether we whether our overall we're successful in what we what we'd like to see because you can't you know you can't bear that burden no we can't bear that weight of thinking that uh and it's, it's as you say it's completely unrealistic to think that one person is actually going to change anything by themselves but what we can do is just to feed our energy into the into the general into the general positive energy, isn't it? And that's what you're saying. And I think that all of those different types of energy and abilities and initiatives all come together and form one big thing, which is bigger than all of us. So it sort of becomes, in a in a in a in a struggle to use the uh, the term loosely without wanting to sound too masculine, <laughs> but in a you know in a, in a movement of trying to stop something bad from happening, that um, it becomes an, a sort of uh, an organism. Of its own, it becomes a well a morphic field to use a 
one of Rupert Sheldrake's phrases that, uh, you know, it becomes a, a real thing that we can't see. But I think it's a real thing, the energy, the collective energy of a group of people, sometimes just people who come together for a, for a short time, just for one, you know, one moment, even one evening or one day or, you know, or maybe it's one month and some struggle or maybe it's, it's a few years, but it's not, a, it's not a fixed entity. It's not like a sort of, um, not something you can really give a label to. But when you really feel strongly about something and you're really giving yourself to it and you're really making yourself completely available for that, for that particular cause, whatever it is, then I think you do produce an energy which combines with the energy of other people who are in that same state of... Um, or state of grace, if you like, or in the in the Tao, to use another another term, which I think describes that that that, that same flow of energy. That is interesting. And and by the way, like I I don't even think that there's anything wrong with sounding to a masculine. I think it's very endearing. To me, it's a very mysterious energy that is, you know, like Zoom focus, not seeing anything outside it, but just Zoom focus. It's very very endearing. I think it's good in balance. I think. Yeah. I think really yeah. yeah, more good things happen when this energy is balanced with perspective and and love and love as in okay, sometimes there's a problem, you don't have to just like go and shoot it immediately without thinking. Like sometimes it's a good strategy, sometimes it's not. So like it's good to it's good to balance things. But in general, I think it's a beautiful, like it's a really beautiful combination of like having this, that, and the other. And well, in some older cultures, they even had their ruler, their ruling body was a council of like elders, male and elders, female, and then they had to all agree. So a war would not happen if the women said that's not a good idea. So, and then sometimes women would say, yeah, I mean, like it's a good idea. And then men would do a brilliant job fighting, right? So, and that's all horribly oversimplifying. But I think that in general, like I admire the people who just go and do things that are not my specialty. I admire that. To me, it's just like an admirable mystery. But I think balance is in order because our civilization is where it is because some some energy got out of completely out of whack, and so we have this energy just like wants to kill everything, and it really wants to kill everything. And then the result is not so amazing. So, and I agree with you. I, I agree with you. We can c contribute to that bucket, but then the results are a matter of mystery. And I do think actually that there's a bigger plan in a way, well, maybe plan in, in flux, but that existentially, like existentially, everything's fine. I mean, we have all this turmoil and horrible things because many people refuse or don't know how, or they were broken too much, but they refuse to, in a way, get in touch with their soul. And that is the condition that gives fertile ground for all the crap, including the Great Reset, which is a continuation of like other crap that was happening before. But existentially, eventually it will come around and it'll be fine. I mean, people will, for, for, for a very, very long time, for many, many, for many countless generations, people lived in relative harmony again not per not perfection but relative harmony no. and we just had some couple thousand years a few thousand years where people i think it's almost like a teen 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 spirit because if you think about it 
for many, many, many thousands, millions years prior, people were like, maybe like innocent. Well, I don't want to say innocent of a child because like, that's not how I mean it. Like there was great wisdom, but you know how a child cannot, cannot imagine sometimes the horrors of like total wickedness. Well, all children are different, but there's this certain purity. And then when somebody becomes a teenager, like everything, she's like, you know, like me, 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 everybody's stupid. And then eventually out of that comes when, you know, the teenager gets, well, beaten a few times. And then out of there comes a certain wisdom. And then hopefully healing happens because without healing, it's crap, which is like trauma for life. But then if healing happens on top of that, then there comes a mature, more experienced adult who now knows the same things as the child knew, but not as a theoretical matter. Like the child knows, okay, good is good, bad is bad. Like it's good to do good things. It's bad to do bad things, but it's kind of just like theoretical knowledge or you don't know anything else. But when you have a choice and like you've seen good and bad and you've done and you actually gone through that, then your knowledge is very, very, it's more solid. And this is my theory about what's happening in the very long span. We're kind of a teenager right now, the past few thousand years where we're like, oh, me, 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 me. Everybody was stupid. Let's do something new. Let's invent. Let's let me be God. Let, 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 let. But then eventually when we figure out that it's not exactly how life works, it's like, ah, okay. So let's see. So that's my theory. Yeah, no, that sounds, um, well, I hope, that's, I hope it's true in the sense that, yes, I hope we can get beyond this stage and not just, just not just blow ourselves up or you know peter out in a puddle of uh, polluted re- radioactivity or whatever whatever might lie in store for us yeah I th- it's possibly even that there have been um, i mean i don't know this is just this is just i like the idea that there have been already been several cycles of this happening mm-hmm. throughout history that maybe there were you know similar well not yeah maybe there were uh, undoubtedly there were other civilizations but ones we don't know about but they came to their end and, and then things started again. And you know, that cyclical idea quite appeals to me. But um, so it would be as yeah, but you're right that it would be a, it wouldn't be like starting again. Well, if we if we started again from a healthier place now as a species, it wouldn't be like the beginning of the human species, because we'd have having been through what we've been through, we would be able to we would incorporate into our mythology of the future. The new mythology, the, the the memory of this dark age that we've been through and the mistakes that we made. I think that's what you were saying, really, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. There would be, you know, the, the, the positive of, of all this is to have built up a a new level of wisdom. So that the, the hope would be that this would be could be if we get through this unscathed, uh, it would be a, a a foundation of a much a much greater human uh, human future and humankind of a yeah. So that's, that would be uh, that would be a very uh, a very uh, healthy future to think of. And that's so that's what we're going to be aiming for, but um, hopefully not with too much in the way of um, traumatic destruction before we get there, which is the, which is the worry, isn't it, at the moment? Of course. Now I think that is my general thinking. Also, what what you described, and uh, I'm thinking, well. Thinking on a very large scale, eventually there'll be no people, but that's probably millions and millions and millions of years. So we can't even think about what it can be like because eventually, you know, like sun, earth, everything dies. So, and probably by then 
we'll be fine with it. There'll be some, you know, other form of living as in, you know, in the spiritual sense that as a, as a collective species, we might just like, okay, we've done our job. Like, it's fine. We're good. We're go good to moving on to some, something entirely different that we cannot even imagine. But, but that's very far away and it's not even, you know, that's not where we are. But, uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's a cycle and it might even, since you mentioned several civilizations, well, obviously we have very, very little information about it and it's mostly, you know, like excited rumors that, you know, kids talk about, okay, maybe it was this way, maybe there was this civilization. I mean, so we don't really know, but I think that even that some, some creation stories and some cultures where, where the creator created people several times and every time people did something where, you know, it all went to trash in a way. So I mean, like they, they got destructive, but even if you think about it as a human life, I think we'll learn with every experience, but then it's natural. So it's almost like the cycle where, uh, clarity and, uh, work in a good, like in a, in a proper sense of it creates eventually, you know, creates pleasantries and comfort, comfort, and pleasantries eventually create laziness, laziness and arrogance. Like it has that potential. Then from there, people start cu cutting co corners. When they start cutting corners, eventually it goes to like crap, which calls for clarity and work. And it goes on and on and on and on. And mm -hmm. it is human nature. You know, that's what I observed in others and myself, where you learn something but then it's really important to focus on it because if you don't, it's natural to kind of get a little like complacent about things. Mm. And then sometimes you go through it, an experience that reminds you or, you know, you have to re remembering it is a little easier. Like with each time, it's a little easier, but it's almost like it's a cycle anyway. So we never get to total perfection as human beings anyway it's just like it just doesn't happen so we're always like there's always this liveliness where we have to make choices where and we're tempted to maybe cut corners so i think actually the most important thing is not cutting corners up to internal soul like to be really in touch with the soul and to not cut corners like to, to absolutely try and if one makes a mistake or like does something that creates pain that then you, you deal with it, you really try to fix it because it's hard to avoid, but then we, you know, we fix it and we, we just really honest with ourselves and, you know, with the spirits about trying to be best. I mean, I don't know any other way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult to be honest with yourself, isn't it? If you, um, you know, when it hurts to realize you've done something wrong, and it, 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 the burden of that is something that most of us sort of push away. You push away and you, you pretend that you haven't. You know, this is just basic denial, isn't it? Or you, you project it onto other people. No, it wasn't me, it was them. Or, you know, it was the circumstances. And, but the, the wisdom comes from saying, yes, okay, I did do I did do that thing wrong, whatever it was. It could be a really tiny thing or a really big thing, couldn't it? I did, a, I, I did do that wrong. But I'm going to, you know, embrace that and go beyond it. And I don't hate myself for that. Um, but I'm going to absorb that lesson and um, 
And that's what that's perhaps what we need to do as a whole, like humankind, to absorb the lesson of what we've what we've done wrong, but not to you know not not to push it away, but and, and not to and not to hate ourselves for it either, not to be sort of racked by guilt because that's a you know that's a very negative uh, a negative emotion. I think just starts the whole the whole vicious cycle again, doesn't it? I think so. I think guilt uh, in in tiny amounts, if it just leads to the call for healing and fixing things. It may be therapeutic, but generally it's a very dangerous emotion. It can get really toxic quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, well, one of the things that are happening, and I was actually thinking about it, you know, like with political correctness and all that, it is such a deliberate effort to deprive people of the opportunity to actually face the crap and deal with it in a healing manner. Instead, there's this new negative thing that is created that makes it a lot harder because well obviously the historic things that have been happening historically well for quite a while there's lots of really bad things that happen lots of abuses and some of them are specific for a particular demographic some of them are just general that that's how life is right now it has been for some centuries but most human beings, I think, like there's this desire to ultimately you know, do good and be kind. Sometimes it's deeply buried, but it's there. Mm. And But if you start yelling at somebody, so imagine like if or like you did something wrong and then you know and you're kind of on the fence and maybe you're thinking like maybe you should say like apologize or whatever. But then somebody says, oh, my God, you're such a horrible person. You did that then your immediate reaction is like, screw you, because yeah. somebody's yelling at you. And and that's what they're doing. So instead of, so we're in such a moment where abuses become so blatantly obvious and less targeted towards, you know, this group of people, that group of people, uh, it becomes more obvious that, okay, oh, they, they're actually abusing all of us. And sometimes they pit this group against another, but they were actually doing that. Like they've been doing that in in Europe and in Asia. Then they transported that crap to Africa and Americas and Australia. But it's kind of the same game. It's just, you know, some the same game, ultimately. People have such an opportunity to realize it and say, wait a second, wait a second. They're doing it to all of us, seriously. And they've been doing it for how long? What do we do about it? So there is an opportunity for that. So what do they do? They say it's all like Europeans, it's all white people, and all those things, those horrible things did happen. Colonization did happen. It's tragic. Like it's it's tragic in every way, and it's criminal. But mm. if they start just generating yelling as opposed to allowing people to think and talk, that it's perpetual cycle. So they now like it's somebody else's turn to be humiliated. Nothing gets old. And it is such an evil genius move. And they also, by implying, so they're saying, oh, so this policy, like sustainable, anti-racist, all that, do they care about people from Africa? Of course they don't. They despise people from Africa just like they despise people from any everybody anywhere else. But <clears throat> then by impl- the rhetoric, and they're using this rhetoric, they are, well, they're seducing some of the people who are genuinely hurting and they are 
not solving the root problems. Like here in, you know, in the United States, they are abusing treaties with the original people of this land, just like they were before. The treaties are not kept. They're legally enforceable. Technically, they should be kept. By, from the legal standpoint, they're not. They're broken. They're, they're broken. Are they doing that? No, they're, they're, not, they're not saying, let's keep the treaties. They're just saying, la, 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 anti-racism, which is just words. So it's so cunning, and it's so cunning against everybody. It is just so evil. And, yeah, I mean, I, I've been just thinking about how they, they weaponize people's trauma against themselves and others. And it's, it's the yeah. same trick they've been doing forever. It's just a new variation right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree, yes. Mm. <clears throat> when you think about the, uh, the way that, um, that uh, white racism against, um, against the uh, indigenous people of, um, of North America, was harnessed by the, uh, by the by the by the authorities by the power, in order to in order to uh, in fact in order to enable the development of North America. But they you know by, they had to depict the uh, the native peoples as being uh, you know violent and uh, evil and heathen and you know and so they did it. But I've been reading Freddie Perlman actually, which I didn't I didn't know before. I've, I don't know if you've come across him, but uh, he's a he's a very interesting writer. And uh, he, this is what this is what he, he was explaining that how how that 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 the idea of a white race being superior to the to the uh, to the indigenous people of North America was deliberately instrumentalized because the because the advance of development from east to west was slowing down and wasn't going as fast as it should in the minds of those who wanted to profit from it. They needed to they needed to basically recruit the European settlers to to do their work for them and thus to. Um, Kick the uh, kick the indigenous people off the land, and the same thing, you know. And that when you could say the same thing has happened throughout the history of imperialism everywhere, really. But that was that particularly had an army. They had an army of people who were doing it because they thought they were doing it for them. That it was there was something glorious that they were, uh, you know, they were part of some great cause for for good in um, civilizing and. Gaining, winning this land, opening up, opening up the land. What it was really is just opening up this land for this, for this, this same monster of, of of development and money to come creeping in and suck out all of the lifeblood from it. And, uh, so yeah, it's used. It's it's, it's always been used. The, the, well, I think the nationalism has always been used to um, to get people behind the state because people have a natural a natural uh, need to feel part of a. A collective entity, so it works psychologically. It works. Hey, you're you know you're all part of something. You're all part of this thing called the nation, whatever the nation is. And, you know you can all be proud of that, and uh, and we're your representative. And we you know we we we're going to carry your interests forward to all get behind us. And uh, I mean it's just a trick. It's a device, but it's a device that uses real human needs, the need to feel a sense of belonging. And the people that arrived in in America. That the white European settlers didn't have a sense of belonging because they came from all over the place and, and didn't had, had cut off their roots from where they used to live, their real their their, uh, their real communities and even their real their, their original languages. So they were in search of a new identity, and the, the, the lowest common denominator, as Perlman puts it, is uh, was their um, was their whiteness, you know, which is 
whatever that is. And, uh, and they're still using that today. They're still using it, they've turned it around now so that uh, whiteness is the bad thing. <laughs> but they're still manipulating people using these same false categories. Well, unfortunately. And, you know, I've, I, I've read to some extent, well, quite a bit, but uh, about the early times where they were luring Europeans, poor Europeans, abused Europeans, to come to the you know the world across the ocean, well they needed human hands and an army for well that wretched development. I mean that was the real reason why they needed well manpower to to do the mm-hmm. work. Yes, yeah, so that some other people can make money. But of course, saying that would not get a lot of people. So they had to come up with a lot of things. But also then, the fundamental issue was that people were horribly abused in Europe by that time. So there was horrible abuse. People, you know, they were humiliated. You know, I think the commons was destroyed in the UK. By the, so it was like, it was really, really, people were trying to run away from humiliation. I and mean, like that was the foundational problem because if they weren't humiliated, why would they care to go anywhere, to go like on a dangerous ship? And the technology was different. So like really sailing across the ocean is not a, you know, that's not an easy thing to do and it's not a safe thing to do necessarily, no guarantees. No, no, a lot of people died, didn't they? I mean, not just slaves, but, uh, you know, Irish immigrants and so on never made it to the other side. And they were, that's a good example, the Irish, because they were really forced, they were really forced to leave because of the, uh, because their, their, their natural resources, their land was being taken from them by the, uh, by the British Empire. In fact, that was the first... Uh, I think the first colony of the British Empire was England. <laughs> but, uh, well, it is very true. It is very true. And then Scotland and Wales and Scotland and then Ireland, you know, before before the rest of the world uh, became the victim. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a horrible process. It's a horrible process. And, uh, you know, this, yeah, <laughs> and this is all, you know, this is all part of this same, um, this monstrous growth that has now culminated in where we are now, where they're now turning on the uh, turning on the Africans, uh, the remaining Africans who are close to the land. That's, I think we talked about that last time, didn't we? This, um, yeah. So yeah, it all, it, but it's all interconnected. This is uh, well, I mean, that's a general philosoph- philosophical point I would make that everything is interconnected. Which sounds obvious, but people don't always seem to see it that way. Because that's not, you know, we, we live in a society which, like, which likes to categorise things. And when children are at school, they, all the all the aspects of life that they're told about are broken down into these separate subjects. You know, you mustn't you mustn't mix up history with geography or you know, or English literature with um, I don't know with maths or something. But when they're all, all all ultimately everything is all is interconnected. And the same with all this with this 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 thing. I, yeah, I'd call it a thing, um, monstrous thing. That, I mean, I, I have a feeling I've been fighting this thing the whole of my, well, not the whole of my life, all of the time I've been active uh, in doing political and campaigning things. I, I've, I have the feeling that I'm switching from one one subject to another. You know, sometimes I've, I've been, uh, I was campaigning against fracking in England or I was campaigning against uh, CC. TV surveillance cameras, or I was uh, uh, campaigning against the war in Iraq, or I was campaigning against the destruction of the countryside by housing de- developments or roads. And it seems, you know, it might seem from the outside that 
that I was, I kept, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I always kept switching from one thing to another, but it's just, and it's all different aspects of the, of the same entity, which is not necessarily what you call capitalism because surveillance and, and police state isn't necessarily part of a capitalist world because we know that that, right. that existed to uh, an even greater extent in the Soviet Union and, and in China today and so forth. So that isn't the word to describe all of this, of this thing against which people like me have been, have been fighting for so long. Oh, fighting, yeah, trying to fight. I mean, I don't claim to have had any great successes, minor successes from time to time. So, but it's all, they're also, it's all just different aspects of the different faces of the or different heads of the same, uh, the same Hydra. You know, it's, oh, the machine. Yeah, the machine. Mm, mm. And well, I think, well, we, we talked about it before, but you now Stephen New, Newcomb has a term that is my favorite to describe the thing it's the system of domination. Because at the at the bottom of it, like at the root of it, that's what it is. That's a system of domination. And yep. instead of letting people live as a part of, you know, here's the earth, here's the sky, here's a mystery, and it's amazing and it's challenging sometimes, but but it is amazing and beautiful and you're free and you make your own schedule and you obtain food, but everything is like jo- joyful and sometimes challenging, sometimes dangerous and not perfect. But nonetheless, all in all, it's just this awe. Instead of that, the agency, the direct connection to the to the higher powers and to the spirit is hijacked. And then somebody was an expert and they tell you what to do. And then for that, you have to check out your soul at the gate. And it's been going on for some time. And again, in practical terms, what's been happening in the West between World War II and say 2001, it was far more pleasant for far more people than many other forms of that system of domination. So if I if I had to choose to live in a modern society, if I could just press a button and just live in a modern society that is pleasant and where I can do what I want, I would choose pre-2001 America, probably of the ones I know, of the ones because it's just like it's it's but then, like anything with life, there's no such thing as something for nothing. Because if it's pleasant here, it's because there are all those wars that were happening and all the oil prices and, you know, orphans orphans and widows elsewhere. And the all yeah. the price history, of course. So it is. But then again, in real life, we have to always, we never live in a pure world. We always make some trade-offs. Like we're talking on a computer right now using the internet. Technically, without the internet, there would be no fourth industrial revolution. So we could say, oh, like to hell with that. We're not going to use the internet. And it would be a very respectable stance, but then we wouldn't be talking. So like with everything, it's... Yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, you can't, I don't think it's, you have to use the uh, the means available to, to do what you want to do, don't you? You can't, you know, if, if you were, um, you know, if you can't help it. We're, we're, we're within this system. Yeah, you could drop out. I could drop out and go and live in the woods. I probably will eventually go and disappear off the internet because, you know, but, but, but then you've also, we've also got a duty to speak out again about what we see happening and to communicate with people. And so, um, you know, you can use the, you can use the weapon, the enemy's weapons, and the uh, in the short term without without necessarily being uh, com- convinced of their uh, long term um, 
beneficial beneficiality, if that's a word. <laughs> well, now it is. Well, I, I think honestly, with all those things, it's a case by case and individual because everybody has their own special calling, and that's just how it is. We're different. We have our own different strengths and weaknesses and likes and dislikes and. Like I, well, boycott is a horrible team word, but I do boycott some things just because like, I, like, I, like, I don't, I don't, they specifically disgust me on a personal level. So I just don't want to deal with that. And I don't necessarily, I don't condemn people who don't boycott them just because they have their own thing. So I don't, I, I, I think that the dogmaticism, also not a word, but <laughs> being dogmatic is probably worse for the overall trajectory of the world than using any particular thing. Like in many, because like just, just dogma has a quality, you know, it just destroys many good things. But we all make our choices. Mm. But then on the other hand, well, not using the internet, which would be really, really good. But nonetheless, I would not be able to do anything, including like write and send and all those things. So it's just. Yeah. Well, if, if somebody was if somebody was uh, threatening you with a sword, you know, in some other sort of society, somebody was standing in front of you with a sword and was about to chop your head off, and you you would you would actually rightly say, well, I don't think this is a good thing that people have swords because this person's going to chop my head off with his sword or her sword. Uh, but there was a and there was there was a sword lying in front of you that you could pick up to defend yourself. Well, you wouldn't say, "Our principle, I'm against all swords. Go and kill me." You'd pick up the sword, you know. So. <laughs> Well, exactly. That, 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 that is a very good analogy. And I think that even with technology, and I think we might have talked about it before, but uh, I think that the primary, the primary thing is the internals. And so with internals in order, out of all technologies that can be developed or available and you can think of, you will go with the ones that do not present horrible danger, that can, the, the balance, the trade-off is good. So you get certain comforts, certain benefits, certain like pleasant things, but without tracking havoc. And I think that that is a mysterious thing. That is, that is a spiritual choice because nature has so many powers and we as human beings, we are treated very, very kindly by, you know, the existential powers and by nature because we have keys. I mean, like we d d discover, well, discover, we, we learn about so many things and we learn how to use them. And there's all this richness of things available to us. But with some wisdom, we would probably be choosing very differently. Because if you think about it, and that's one of the things that I think about all the time, is the, the lo long term, like this humongous trajectory where something you do here can completely bite you in the ass or maybe the other way around like 5,000 years from now, you know, 500 years from now. But with narrow thinking, you almost don't allow yourself to think that because if you, okay, so the, the development of trains and destroying, so, so imagine like if trains never existed before, so we are in a world where train never existed before, then somebody says, okay, that's a great idea, we'll, we'll travel faster, and we'll have to destroy a bunch of trees and create all this havoc, and 
pollution and destruction, but we're going to travel better and look how nice it is. So it's a trade-off. Like you have to think, okay, so this is the good thing by getting, this is the bad thing by getting. Like, is it worth it? But mm-hmm. then where is it going to take us? Are we just going to build, you know, few railroads or are we going to destroy every tree that ever existed? So uh, uh, I, I'm being dramatic, but it's it's always and maybe I, mean, I don't know. Maybe if people could just stop it, like building three railroads, it would be wonderful. But then there is like no end to it, and it is such a mysterious thing. With every technology, it's the same thing. And I think that without that spiritual balancing, in a proper sense, it's actually impossible to make good choices. Because I'm not saying I'm not like pro trains or against trains. I obviously, I've taken trains trains all of my childhood, and that was very pleasant and interesting and all the like tea mm, that yeah. they give you specific train tea that they give you the train like adventures and wonderful. But then, if I could travel to the world where they never existed, knowing everything that happened because like trains led to this, then to that, then to that, and here we are. Yeah, that's the trouble, isn't it? Right. I mean, like, would I press a button and say, you know what? We're not ready for this kind of, like, for that kind of development. development. And so maybe we're better off just, like, chilling on this one, right? So who knows? It's such a mysterious thing. But then when it unfolds and it's so toxic, then we suffer. Yeah, I mean, I've thought that, and I've thought that. I've thought, well, supposing I could have, supposing I didn't, I liked trains when I, I mean, I still do in a way, though. I've, you know, but when I was, when I, some of my happiest childhood memories revolve around trains. I used to go to a railway bridge with my granddad, dude, you know, and we'd watch it. They were, they were still had steam trains running when I was, uh, when I was very little. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, and I've, I've liked, I've gone on, holidays on trains you know train you can buy these tickets when you're young you can buy a train pass that take you around europe and you know it's i got you know i've always quite liked it because you can read on a train you can read and look out of the window and and from i used to go on this i used to travel between um, london and scotland quite a lot and uh, i used to, there's a particular part of the uh, of the journey which i always looked forward to I always made sure i was sitting on the on the on the right side of the train or going north it's the right hand side because you get come the railway line comes close to the coast just north of newcastle down towards the scottish border and you, you see all the cliffs and the waves and oh this is beautiful you know and then of course it suddenly strikes you that for the people who are walking on the footpaths <laughs> on the cliffs next to the beautiful beaches it's it's not particularly great having high speed trains going past every uh Every uh, half an hour, you know, whatever. So, the and um, some people spotted this coming with trains from from right from the right from the word go. There was John Ruskin, who's a writer I, I really like. From he was um, an art critic in um, Victorian England who inspired William Morris and the Pre-Raphaelites and all that that uh, that, that movement. And um, but he wrote a piece which I've quoted. I can't remember exactly the words, but he was he was writing about a new railway that they built in a very picturesque part of the north of England, and uh, and he was and he, he was just scoffing at it and saying, "Well, this is the marvelous. The marvelous new railway means uh, that all the people in this town can get to that town, and you know, in half an hour, and all the people in that town can get to the other town in half an hour. And, you know, who does that actually benefit? Who is this for? What's it? Who needs to get?" To, to another town 20 miles away and uh, much, much faster than you could before. Um, 
so he was really he was really questioning this whole the whole of this the, the, this development thing that I was talking about. Actually, I think that he, he was getting to, you know he'd seen that coming at a quite an early stage. And the real reason we had trains wasn't for people to go on nice nice trips and look out of the window and uh, go on holiday. You know, it's all to do with uh, extracting resources and uh, you know enabling creating the infrastructures of uh, industry and trade and the rest of it. The uh, the spin off effects are. Well, 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 with the people's use, well, I suppose to get people to and from to and from work as well was is, is another practical use. But yeah, unfortunately, they they're not a good thing. Although I, uh, you know, although I've got a, always had a, a soft spot, and I wondered a few years ago, I, I was mulling this over, and I thought, couldn't we just stop at a certain at a certain stage of development? You know, suppose when I was when I was young, it seemed all right in the nineteen sixties. Yeah, we could we could have a sort of modern world, but not. You know, not going going into the absurdities and horrors that we have today, but you know, no, you can't because the, the whole the whole development thing is is in motion. It's not you know, it's it's a process. It's not actually a, a, a stable. It's never a stable state of society, but it has it, it collapses if it doesn't if it doesn't grow, and that's that's the problem behind it because there's all this sort of money and the interest. The interest in the money and the need to make more money, and that's what's fueling this development. You couldn't just freeze the world and now oh, we're just going. Even now, supposing we said now, okay, like this is okay, you know, we're, we're all right. This is not too bad. The modern world is, is in 2022. We'll just stop now, but we won't go any further. It wouldn't work economically, and that's what's behind it. You know that they need they need new areas to grow into, which I think is why this this is idea of create creating the virtual products and markets that. You know, because that's something that, that, that hasn't been exploited until now, but but it's still in the real world. So a virtual a virtual world needs real life uh, uh, server farms and electricity supplies and uh, infrastructures and uh, you know manufacture of of all of, of all of that as well. So it's not, I you know, it's a false it's a false solution. But it can never stop. It can never stop of its own accord. It's like a boulder rolling down a mountainside. Once it gets going, it's got that momentum, and it's only going to stop when it gets to the bottom. Have we reached the bottom? Uh, I think it's almost bottomless, and it gets. I have well three separate things to say uh, to, in response to what you said, and I really like what you're saying. I think it's I mean, like that. That is very reflective of well how things actually work in this world right now. But so thing number one, kind of obvious that, you know, the virtual, the metaverse and all those things, it is just that blue ocean strategy. Uh, well, you know, that, that, that is a non-conspiratorial business strategy where you don't, uh, in order to make the most profit, the strategy suggests that you open up a whole new market that didn't exist before. That is like a blue ocean versus ocean red with blood of com- competitive like you know competition and all that so you open up a whole new market and you own it because that's the market you created and they've been doing that for quite a while with different things but then with the virtual that's exactly that like something that never existed before they just created out of nothing they create this thing where they can make money and a lot of money they just need to lure everybody in there and i, I posted yesterday something uh, I'm subscribed to this thing, Angel List, uh, which is uh, like startups, high tech, like startup world, right? And 
So their, their newsletters are so dystopian. And years ago, I didn't notice that. Now I'm like, well, I mean, like, what, what in the hell is that? But so they sent something with a picture of table, a bunch of people sitting at the table in the VR thingies. So they're all covered. So in the, you can't see their faces. And then the thing says, well, extended reality is something, something. And I'm thinking, if you call that extended reality, what people are sitting, like they have no reality. It's, it's a very narrow reality. It's a diminished reality, a stolen reality. Certainly yeah. not extended because they're just sitting there like fools with the thing on their heads, yeah. like idiots. Yeah. And, and again, I can imagine how somebody with a very pure heart could use that as in, Maybe some preliminary training of surgeons a little bit. Maybe, maybe, but we can do without. We don't need it, right? We don't need it because people were doing just fine without it. So, yeah, I mean, they just created this thing. But then another thing, as we were talking about trains, that uh, dawned on me is that, well, the, the physical realities create habits and then habits create needs. So, for example us being born into the world where trains existed, you kind of assume that, like, of course, trains are necessary because, I mean, like, it's good because they're pleasant and you can go on a trip and have an adventure. So you have a you have a need because you have a habit because the habit has been created. Well, in a cynical economic way, kind of, because the reason for the existence was probably mostly greed-flavored, but then we, as most people, it's just pleasant, you go on trips. But then there's a habit. But then once there is a habit, it's a lot harder to give it up than to never develop it. And so for somebody who was born when there were no trains, it's probably, it's a different perspective, right? So like, why do you need trains? Or maybe, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but there's no, like, there's no addiction. It's like, okay, maybe. But then this creation of addiction is kind of a signature of our civilization. And again, I'm not pro trains or against trains. I'm not, I, I try not to be dogmatic because, okay, they're here. We'll have them. So just saying, okay, tomorrow, no more trains. Then, then I would sound like Klaus Schwab. And they're like, all trains are mine. No trains for you. But, yeah. but you know, like that is not how, how things work. So we have to get from point A to point B, probably in the most harmonious way, ideally. But then, there was once a world and not so long ago when there was no electricity, no and those things and the food was better, the air was better. And so maybe the purpose of this entire thing of past few thousand years or in a specific narrow sense in the past hundred, a couple hundred years of industrial revolution is so that we can make an educated choice. Isn't like, okay, we've tried it this way without electricity and all those things. We tried that way. Mm. Is there preference after having learned what we know now, what we didn't know before? Would we rather go back to where there was no electricity? Or maybe we can find a way where there's a trade-off, where we can combine this and that, but without going crazy, because we know that if we allow ourselves to go crazy, then our butt is going to hurt really badly, which is usually the best education. Like when your butt starts hurting, they're like, wait a second, let me think. Yeah. So which one it is, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm just asking... Well, yeah, and that's the important thing, is to be able to ask the question and, uh, and have the discussion collectively. When that's the difference between you or me and Klaus Schwab, then when, when we talk about a future we'd like to see, 
when we're not trying to actually physically impose it on people you know we're just saying well i think it would be better that way and who cares what we think really you know it's not going to change change the actual physical world but um the uh but if it, the problem is that we can't have this conversation at the moment well we can have this conversation be- between us but where the society is not having this conversation it's, it's not on the agenda you know it's considered uh beyond the pale a, t- a taboo opinion to question industrialism you know you're or the modern world you know you because we could, obviously if you took it all away suddenly it would it would cause a lot of um a lot of chaos and confusion and misery, you know, not that you can take it away, not that anybody can take it away suddenly, really. But, uh, well, not anyone who hasn't got any power. But um, but you're not allowed to have this, you're not allowed to have the, conf- yeah, so, so we're, we're discredited. If you, if you have this opinion, you're, you're regarded as complete, completely, either completely nuts or complete, you know, just a naive idealist, a back to nature freak, you know, with this stupid romantic uh, medieval ideas. Oh, back to this. Do you want to take us, drag us back to the stone age? Do you, you know, or, uh, oh, you know, technology is neutral. You don't want to, you don't want to challenge technology. You can't turn the clocks back. You know, we've, we've got to keep going forward. What you know, yes, go forward, but you don't have to go forward in this direction. There's no, you know, when you're when you're walking in the in the, in the forest, you don't have to keep keep on the path that you know is going the wrong way. At a certain point, you're going to stop and say, "Hang on, <laughs> I think we're getting lost here. I think we're going to uh, we're going to end up, uh, you know, coming to the edge of the cliff and disappear into a, into the Grand Canyon or something. I think we better um, we better turn round and go back the way we came and then see if there's a there's a better turn off, you know." But apparently this... Go ahead, go ahead. No, go sorry, I didn't interrupt you. No, it's okay, I nearly finished. But apparently that's not possible. Apparently, you know, that's what we're told, effectively, is it's not possible to go in any any other direction than down this this path that we're going, even though it's becoming so increasingly obvious that it's a bad path. And that's what the last two years have told us, shown us, I think. is It's made it completely obvious that this is this is not the right way that we should be going. You know, what is interesting is that if, say, 10 years ago, you or I said, let's not fly the plane so much because it's like, it's not good for the environment, whatever. I mean, like, it's just like, it's too disruptive. Then we would be laughed at because it's obviously a low-died idea and like silly and all that. But now that Klaus Schwab propagandists are saying it in a very wiggly way, then people actually think, oh, wait a second. Now that people with money are telling us that flying is not so good for the environment, yeah, they have a point. So it, it is actually completely fascinating that the all the things that are actually in some way true about the destructiveness of the current trajectory and the environmental pollution and all that, I mean, those are true, those are factual things. But when people say that from a pure heart, the society is conditioned to discredit those statements. If somebody devised a money-driven scam to use those statements to promote some other agenda, even worse destruction, but wrap the marketing in this, like, look, it's bad for the planet or what's good for the planet, then people eventually start listening after the education is bombarded, like the academics, all the bribery, all the bullying, so with enough bullying power, those ideas become noble and worth listening to. 
the problem is that by that time, those ideas mean nothing. They are like the opposite of themselves as far as the practical measures that they imply. And yeah, it's yeah. so fascinating. And it seems like it's a trend. So one monster goes away only when another monster confronts it, as opposed to people from the pure heart saying, okay, like monster, monster, I, we, we don't want your monster, go away, monster. And the monster goes away. Mm-hmm. It, like, it takes another monster with not so good agenda to mm-hmm. push away the old monster. And yeah, that's what happened, be- you know, when the Soviet Union fell apart. It was, you know, Soviet Union was bad, then the other thing came in. And the, the bad monster of the Soviet Union rightfully so went away and it was a joyous thing. But we thought as people that it was in the name of good in the name of honest politicians, in the name of democracy and free expression and all those things that are that are nurturing to the spirit, really. In reality, it was multinationals, you know, clearing the market for themselves and making new business deals and just sometimes the children of the communist leaders would become new oligarchs. I mean, like, all that. And but it wasn't obvious in the moment. Well, anyway, so what do you want to say? Yeah, no, I was, I was going to agree with you. Uh, but but when the thing, the, the most important thing about this current, about this language of sustainability and, uh, you know, this, yes, they might suggest that, oh, yeah, flying flying's not good, but they don't mean for them. I mean, this is all so false. They just, they just want to, they don't want to, they don't really want to get rid of all planes. They just want to uh, keep the, you know, stop the plebs from flying. And, uh, you know, and so they don't have to, if, they, if, 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 the, if the surfs aren't going on holiday by plane, they don't have to pay them so much to be, so that they can afford these holidays. You know, it's just, a, it's just, a, they just want to just, they're just creating this huge divide between them, the, you know, the super class and, the, and, and everybody else. It's the same with cars. Somebody, I can't remember who was saying the other day, they don't really want, they don't really want people driving electric cars. Not everybody driving electric cars. They, they, they want people not to have cars anymore. But they're going to have. They're going to carry on having, having cars and and planes and uh, all the all the all the benefits of of uh, of, of, of the of this the technological technological industrial age. And uh, and they're also going to keep pushing industrialism because they've got the uh, because as I said earlier all the holes is they're talking about the fourth industrial revolution. I mean, how can okay. somebody who's really green be talking about another industrial revolution on top of the other three? It's just it's just so blatantly false. But I don't want to be confused with their with their version, their false version. You know, when when I talk about doing away with the industrial the industry, I'm talking about doing away with the whole of their world based on money and power and. The whole of this rubbish, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with their their fake version. Hmm. I hear you, and their branding of the world green, and for some reason, the imagery really bugs me because when they, ironically, you know, the imagery of either the entire from horizon to horizon covered in solar panels it looks ugly as hell. Or the turbines that, if you think about it, they're loud, they're disruptive. So there's nothing green about it, really, either one. And there might be genuinely not so destructive sources of energy. I mean, there's a conversations about maybe this one is good. Not, I'm not a fan of nuclear, but again, so I'm sure they're, they're very, very smart people in this world with good hearts who can come up with something that is not horrible. But of course, that is not allowed. But then what they're saying is green. Even on the basic imagery level, I'm like, do you have no eyes? 
if there's an ad saying from some electric company, I saw somebody showed me an ad on Twitter where it switched to all electric company because we are green and good for the planet. And the imagery they're using is those ugly turbines, tick, tick, like everywhere, like everywhere. There's this mm-hmm. land with turbines everywhere. How is it green? How can one look at it and say it's green? It's not green. Money may be the color of green, but the rest mm-hmm. of it isn't. No, it's not at all. No, it's, I mean, no, it's completely fake. It's, 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 they've somehow changed the meaning of being green from, from wanting to, uh, to, to protect nature and, uh, you know, and encourage a healthy, harmonious living to the idea of selling something. They've just replaced, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just marketing for their products and their, their, their whole, their whole new, um, launch rollout of the, all this so-called sustainable technology, which isn't sustainable as lots of many people have been pointing out over the last few years you know it's it's just fake you know but they don't really care because they're going to be able to they're going to be able to make money out of it in the short run before everybody realizes that it wasn't it was never a solution and that's that's the trouble that their, their whole thinking is they're not they're not people that seek wisdom they can't be they wouldn't be doing all this they're, they're just seeking immediate immediate advantage and now somehow these people, these lunatics, have taken over the uh, the asylum of uh, of uh, human civilization, and we're all you know they're, they're wielding all the all the power over the rest of us and censoring us when we criticise them. And yeah, so it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a massive task to try and um, to challenge all of the, all of this because it's become so all pervasive and all dominant. Their, their, you know, just their, not just their physical power, but their, their psychological power over people. Their, people, people's understanding of the world is based on the, on the understanding that they that they have uh, given them to them throughout their lives and throughout their parents' lives as well. You know, we're in, in Western countries, we're many generations into people who are conditioned to accept their myth of progress and the need the need for for, for all this constant expansion expansion the need for expansion there isn't a need for expansion that is true and go ahead no you want to say something else yeah well, i was going no i was just it's just a point i made already really that, that the expansion can't go on forever can it it's an obvious i mean lots of people have said this it can't go on forever but for their there for them it needs to go on forever and it can't go on forever because in the end there will be nothing left to expand into because i don't think they're really going to conquer the universe or anything <laughs> uh, unless you really think that's going to happen they're going to li- we're going to live in a star trek future i don't think so the, you know the, the the limit is the, this place we live and i don't want that to be destroyed and everybody to go and live on another planet anyway there there is a definite lim- there is a definite limit and where and their expansion recognizes low limits which is which is you know which is why they're trying to invent new areas to expand and do it. It can't work because it's 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 not you know there, there's there's still a limit. There's a limit to the there's a physical limit to to everything that they're planning. Well, they are trying to break the natural laws, and that cannot mm. work in any shape or form. It can create yeah. havoc. They are trying to offload the havoc, and they might invent some kind of a fake life in space and ship people off to nowhere. And they mean, like, who knows? But yeah. on the level of, because we can't be just like, okay, things are horrible, we need to do something. So the thing that I, at least for myself, I think 
that it boils down again to internals and to tree, really trying to cultivate good habits on the inside for each of us. And I think I have a theory that when more people start doing that, start just really cultivating good habits rooted in, well, wisdom or aspiring for wisdom, then it'll somehow miraculously or in a mysterious way impact the larger trend. It's almost like energy will do something mm. because there's like there's individual habits, but there's also collective habit that is not just the sum of individual habits. It's its own mysterious thing. We, are, we as a collective of people are a very... I think the relationship is like we have cells in the body or in organs. And as a whole human, we think of them, we don't even think about them. We don't, we have no idea what it feels like to be a cell or we just think you know, like it's happening. But I think that individual cell is probably as like it's a living being with its own tasks. And, but a cell also cannot imagine what it is like to be a human. So it just knows what, what it's doing, its surroundings. And I think, and th this is merely a theory, but I think that it's possible that we as a human organism, we are like an entire body. And so we cannot imagine. So we are like cells. We are just going about our thing and we know what to do in our lives. We cannot imagine about, you know, the, 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 the whole, the whole human species as, as, as a living being. And, but I think that when we do things individually, it impacts the entire species in a way. In a very mysterious way, maybe completely long term, maybe we never get to see it, maybe we do. But fundamentally, and I think also that when people talk about systems or systemic, this, systemic, that, I think all a system is, is a collective emotional habit. Habits can be strong. Habits in a human life, habits determine many, many things. You know, outcomes greatly de depend on habits. And there are other things too, but habits are a big factor. And so if a habit is changed, that's that's massive. Then especially if it's a habit, for example, a habit that is not so good, that is destructive, if a human being manages to change that habit, the entire life can change. So I think when we do that as proverbial cells in the human body, then the more of us do that, the more we shift the collective thing without even necessarily going at, okay, let's, you know, revolution, like bloodshed. I mean, I don't, I don't like blood revolutions at all, but, but we have to actually do that. Like the, the, the difference between outcome and no outcome is talking and doing. So, and that is completely anticlimactic in a way because like, oh, so I just like, I just do my thing. Well, like, what about the glitter or, you know, I'm saving the world, da, da, da. But I think that just happens. And again, we in the West are trained, and I'm no exception, even though Russia is not technical in the West, but it's very, very similar in many ways as far as the cultural, right, the cultural foundation of how we were raised. It's like we have to feel important by a, like a mission or a cause or, you know, I do this and then a million likes come in and that, that's like immediate gratification. It's a replacement for something. It's a replacement for feeling like you're doing something really meaningful. But I think that the impact ultimately comes from uh, actually doing something meaningful and feeling happy about it. And again, nothing is black and white. So I mean, like, 
pleasant things and getting a million likes. I mean, like it's all pleasant. It's it's like it's all good as long as the focus is not on that. Like it's just like a nice bonus if it happens, right? But the going back in, going back back in your soul and just making sure that in every moment you do your best to do what's right. I think that is the ultimate unglamorous mechanism that's going to get us out. And to, to everybody is going to mean something different. Like somebody is in the direct legal battle against the great resetter, the mandates, and that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. There has to be a spiritual foundation, but we need every gift that we have. And we're all different and we're all sometimes completely different. So mm. some people do things that I admire. I have no idea how they're doing that. And I would not want to do that. And like, hopefully that you will say about me and, and you and everybody. So a lot of things are already taken care of as in we're here with all gifts. We're here. We can do stuff. The point is actually to figure it, figure it out inside and actually do it. I don't know if it, if it makes sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes, I, but I agree with you about the, um, yes, about that, that the importance of the, I mean, the individual is the is the doorway to the collective. In fact, because it's is within it's within ourselves that we find our our identity as part of something greater. You know, once you get inside that shell of the of the ego, you don't find a a little ego inside. You find a, you find the universe. I think you you know if you, that's I mean that has always been the that's always been the lesson of uh, spiritual teachings. I think in all in all human societies as far as i'm aware you know the what is, what is called the esoteric type of uh, religious or spiritual teachings is that is, is our belonging to to the oneness uh, that, that our ultimate identity is just as a is as a, a small uh, a very small and very provisional temporary part of something bigger but but obviously when we're there's, there's two sides of it. It's like we're coming back to that thing of the balance that you were talking about earlier, because we do need to be aware of our actual personal, physical, individual existence. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to function. We, you know, we, right. we, you know, we, so we, we need to have that consciousness needs to be rooted in our, in our, in us, so that we can look out from the windows of our own identity. But we can, you can do that, and also have an awareness of, of the other level. I think that's, it's not an either or thing. You can, you can be aware that, um, no, I wonder if I walk in a, if I walk in the forest, uh, yeah, I've, I become aware of being, of, of the forest as a living thing and of me as being part of that same living thing. Um, and I don't know the names of all the trees and things. I'm not somebody who, you know, studies nature in that way. But I have a, I have a real strong emotional connection to it. And I'm sure that I and and everyone else, not just me, we're all part of this living, of this of this of a greater living entity, which is which is the whole of the living, um, the living content of the uh, of our world, and probably and we're all part of the, the whole universe as well. Obviously, the living universe, which is a living universe, because parts of it are living. So it is living. If you know we're part of the universe and we're living, so the universe is living. You know, and uh, and we're also part of this living entity, entity, which is the human, the human species, and part of smaller ones within that. Various affinities, people with who we have share a, an, a cloud of energy or or a friendship or um, yeah. So, but but we find that that is something we find by looking in ourselves, by going beyond the ego and the inside, and at the same time we're going outside. 
of the ego to connect with uh, everything around us. <laughs> and I was just I was just thinking, well, uh, it is so interesting because it's entirely sensory. Because like when I when I was talking before and I was listening to the sound of my voice and I was thinking, oh my God, like those words are so pompous and boring. But then what, what it actually means, it's, you know, that's the real thing, but you have to feel it. Like on the verbal level, on the level of book teaching, it's almost counterproductive because if somebody tells you, oh, be yourself, be one, it's like, okay, great. What does that mean? Right? It's like, you're one of those people. Then, But then when you describe the words, as you feel them, that's that's an entirely different matter, but you have to feel them. It's very, very mysterious. But I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And on another matter, going back to our civilizational progress, I was thinking, well, when written language was introduced, speaking of learning by the book, when it was just coming into existence, they were debates like there are debates about the technology because like written language is also technology, right? In a way. And so there were debates like, this is going to screw everything up. Like, don't do this, which is kind of what happened because if written language is used just simply as a reminder. So if we didn't have to go to the extreme, if it's like, okay, it's convenient, we write something down, but we remember that the actual information contains here and here, that this is just... This is just like scratch notes as like just just a reminder. And even if you read a book, like notes on theological and philosophical matter, they would be just like little scratch notes that like so that the person would have to actually know what it means in the head and the heart. And but then if you take that, if you remove that external knowledge, and okay, the book says that says says this then people have to somehow derive the deeper meaning from the words. And yeah. it doesn't really quite work. It can work in a poetic mode, when, but that's, an, that's a very mysterious mechanism. In a literal sense, it works maybe in some genres like math or, you know, when the, when the road light becomes green, you walk. I mean, on a, on a linear level, it does work. But in any other doesn't but if we try to use it that way then we break and it's so fascinating and then the question is should we have not gone the written language route should we have remembered the moderation and i think the answer to almost everything is actually like moderation we can try different things but we have to remember what the point is as long as we remember what the point is we can play and we'll Try not to go too far. Going too far is usually the problem with all sorts of technologies. And it is just like a fascinating, fascinating conundrum. But then it sounds like a boring philosophical, like middle path, walk the middle path. Like do everything in moderation. And then it sounds like a boring moralistic preacher. But the point is when it becomes a boring moralistic preacher, the entire point is missed. The point is to actually do things in harmony with the actual with how things are in this world and they're just this way maybe there are worlds where things work otherwise we're here this is how things work if we break certain rules we'll we'll be bitten in the ass that's not moralistic that's just a warning of like okay don't stick your fingers in the electric outlet but we as kids when we hear things about do everything in moderation and if it's said by an adult 
we don't we, we know intuitively they're not wise then we're like just like yawning from here to the moon it's like it's boring it's like it's boring mm. it's realistic and it's so fascinating how it's all about what's on the inside not not so much in the words yes yeah i agree i mean you even see that on a really mundane level if you uh you know if you, if you send somebody an email or a text or something and you know your mean your, your meaning was clear to you but they take it completely the wrong way they think you're being sarcastic when you you know you're you're saying something nice or you know because the 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 they're so open to different interpretations just words just just the shells of words unless they you know unless they're really thought out and and um really thought through in a way that there can only be one meaning that they express but yeah it's a problem and we we don't we've been taught not to really um care about the inside it's all about surface isn't it in our in our society i think you know we 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 judge people by well I when i say we i mean people generally judge judge others by um you know what job they do and um what they look like and um what car they drive for some people is important isn't it or what clothes they wear or and um somehow we've we've just fallen for this trap of thinking that the trappings are more important than the substance mm, we're not we don't live in an introspective society generally do we it's um probably people are actually people everybody's got an inside but everybody we we tend to we tend to meet each other on a on the basis of a surface rather than rather than risking to to reveal ourselves or inner selves because that's that's you know it, you can, we can feel that that's dangerous sometimes to reveal too much because somebody somebody might take advantage somebody might hurt us so we and I don't talk about you and people you know I'm sure you have uh, of uh, decent friendships and relationships with people but generally in our society that was the world i grew up in anyway you know people were very very much hiding behind hiding behind a surface and trying to appear to be what they, sh- they were, what they were supposed to be that is that is tragic and that is so true and i think well we're trained we're trained to feel real not from the inside, but feel real by virtue of being validated by others. And that is that is a very complex mechanism because that process of being validated by others, it's part actual people around you and their internals and whether they're broken or healed or their confusions and loves and all those things. But in part, it's also the current tyrants and the tyrants of the past and all the influence and it's this dance. So people around you are themselves, but they're also what they've been given by people maybe with not so good intentions and people on top and people in power. Mm-hmm. And they're still themselves. They internalize things. But you get, especially as a child, but even as an adult, in everyday experience with people, you actually uh, serve the entire history of mankind in a way. And everything that happened before and all the kings and their treacherous ideas that shaped people's thinking maybe 10 or 100 generations before and how it all eventually grew into the people, into the people's heads who are around you. They're telling you things. They, they are seeing you through the prism of whatever else happened in history before. And my thing is, well, we are so interconnected with history. And I think that fixing ourselves and fixing is a mechanical world mechanical words so called like healing ourselves and putting ourselves in balance comes hand in hand with healing history and the entire collective 
the entire collective heart and the collective mindset. And it is such a such an interesting, fascinating, fascinating things, fascinating process. Because we can only really sense what's you know in our world. But at the same time, we're a part of the whole, we can't often see, but we do interact. And just well, yeah. mm. carry on. Uh, well, we've gone deep down the rabbit hole. So is there is there anything else that you want to say about anything before we up, wrap up? Okay, well, I'd just like quickly like to say I agree with you what you were saying about history. And the, But we are the unfolding of history, aren't we? History is nothing else, nothing other than what we collectively do. So each of us, although we're a small part, like we are the small part of the whole, the human species, we're also a small part of history. Uh, and we, we are we you know it's there it's, it doesn't exist or it doesn't exist ahead of us in a preset form uh we're actually you know well maybe maybe with a for a great distance you could see you, you might see that it was going to always end up a certain way but but what we the way we think and the way we act and the way we behave is is part of that that unfolding whether it's inevitable or not every second of your life is part of that as this this wave of uh of the unfolding of time takes us forward. Hmm. Yep. So well, I agree with what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you so much. That was a fascinating conversation and a joy. And we can do it again if you want. So <laughs> thank you, Paul. Thanks very much. Oh, Bye. absolutely. And for the formal part, where people can where, where can people find you as usual? Oh, yeah. Well, it's uh, Winter Oak is the site. Winteroak.org.uk is the main place to go to. There's also an Organic Radicals site, which, which has a lot of the uh, which uh, contains the profiles of uh, a lot of the uh, the writers and thinkers that have influenced me and and others. So that's yeah, that's quite easy to find from um, from the Winter Oak site. I think you could probably yeah, you'll be able to link to that from the Winter Oak site somewhere. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. It was a joy. Thanks. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Yeah.